This episode of Two Fit Crazies and a Microphone Podcast is brought to you by Conti Fitness and Wellness. The best in fitness, wellness, public speaking, health coaching, and more. Find out promo codes and information at contifitness.net. This episode is also brought to you by High Five Health and Fitness. Create positive change in your life with online health coaching from High Five Health and Fitness. High5healthandfitness.com. And finally, do you want the most optimal health and improved performance in your life, check out Vox Life. They are a company that reduces pain, increases strength, endurance, increases stability, balance, and enhances range of motion, provides for faster reaction times. Check out all the promo codes for insoles, socks, you name it, at twofitcrazies.com. It is Christine Conti. And I'm Brian Prender. And yes. we are Too Fit Crazy. And the microphone. We are where it's at. Reel yourself in, girl. I'm nervous now. This is take two. <laughs> I had to reel her totally in. screwed up before. I had to reel her in. Oh, I don't know what to talk about. I don't know what to do. It's like it's our first rodeo. Take a deep breath. <laughs> Christine, have a seat. Have a We're seat good. in the office. We're good. Totally we're good. good. No, we're totally I'm good. I'm excited. We, we just came off of episode 80 with Chris Claiborne awesome. in Oklahoma City. She was so good. She was really good. She's like one of those, uh, you know, powerful balls of energy that you come across in the fitness industry mm-hmm. that's just like, what? you know, and it's just like all to the good, just helping people. She's and great. like, you know, and, and that, that in, I, you know, I say infectious spirit that like, you know, really rallies people and, and gets them to do good things in their life. She is. She's great. Yeah. She's great. And she's got a good story. There's yeah. not, we, we don't, this good story is what we love. Right. And there is not one person, and I sit back and I reflect about this a lot, that there is not one really influential, really powerful person. Powerful doesn't have to mean money. It just means powerful, like someone who people want to rally around. Um, that has not been through something. That has not really struggled or felt what it was like to fall on their face or really feel like this is it. This is over. I don't. I, like, I, I haven't met that person yet, and I've been around for a while now. Suffering is part of life, right? Right. So. You know, it's like Buddhism is suffering is part of life, mm-hmm. and and you know the rich suffer because they're wealthy, and the poor right. suffer because they're poor, and then you know the you know there's like a whole long right. thing that, yeah, that yeah. Buddha goes through. Like you know the people with no families have suffered because there's no families, and the people who, who have families suffer because of their families, and right. you know, and it's kind of like this whole thing. So suffering is kind of like a constant. So it's not as if people. That, you know, it's why, like, I can't isolate my kids from it. Right. Right? Like, things are going to happen, and, uh, you know, what are you going to do next? And and not to be, you know, cold about it, but let's, you know, come up with some... How are you going to react? That's life. That's character. Just some strategies, at least, you know, and just... And it doesn't have to be anything massive. It's Mm -hmm. just, like, even if you can understand that that you're going through something and that it's going to go away probably at some point, you know, then, okay, then you kind of have a point, a plan of attack. I feel very powerful about that. Yes. I just, I can't take advice from someone who's hasn't been through something and has a story to share about it and how they learned and I don't know. Well, Chris right. was very much on top of that yeah. and it's part of her story and it's also a part of um, Bart Yasso's story, episode 81, mm-hmm. uh, which we're on right now. Um, Bart is 
awesome. He's affectionately Amazing. known as the mayor of running, and uh, we have a great conversation with him. Uh, you know, he takes us through a lot of the antics and things that he's uh, that he's done through running, and some of his accomplishments that he's done with running. And thirty-one the, years at Runner's World. Yep, he was the uh, wow. you know an ambassador. You know, he's just a great ambassador for the sport, and uh, this <laughs> journey has put him in a number of you know precarious situations from running through death valley at uh, you know in 120 or so degrees uh, temperature um for a 140 something mile um uh ultra yeah. marathon known as Badwater. uh it's to also the nudist <laughs> run to the nudist 5k <laughs> the Super bear buns funny. 5k oh a 5k in a nudist colony and and just all over the place you know all over the him, world let's put him so in comrades cool. where uh comrades marathon in south africa where you know we talk quite a bit about uh about how you know the connection that um that runners have with uh with other humans and uh and and the good that can come from running uh, and, and, you know, to me, it's not about running hardly at all. I mean, Bart's just a genuine human being who, uh, who wait, let's talk about the Yasso 800. We got those too. That's him. That's this him. is him. All your runners are like, oh my gosh, wait, what? So if you've ever done a particular workout called the Yasso 800s, it's uh, 800 meters on a track or it doesn't have to be on track, I suppose, uh, that, um, is said to determine, you know, your fitness level for marathoning. So if you're going to run a marathon that is uh, three hours and 30 minutes, your 800 meters would be done in three hours or three minutes and 30 seconds, right? So the minute a minute and second equivalent in 800 meters as to the uh, the hour and minute uh, time for your marathon. And uh, most of you, if you're a runner and you're listening to this, and you're pretty probably pretty familiar with the uh, with the ASO 800s. And uh, Bart kind of created them. It's uh, a very scientific, unscientific uh, type of. Uh, it's an it's like my world. Yeah, I'm like I'm with you. I love the. I love Bart Yasso. I was like, are are we connected somehow? <laughs> Awesome. It just kind of came up with something that works and it really works. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a fast marathoner or a slow marathoner. You know, it's not to be relied on 100%, but it'll give you a pretty good idea. You know, it's, it's kind of reliable. So I think our listeners out there too, we talked about, you know, getting into running and why we do it and, you know, some advice that he gave us. And, um, just to throw it out there, you know, he does say never limit where running can take you, which we tro- truly believe in. And, you know, he went over some of the physical, mental, spiritual kind of aspects of that too, which, um, you know, if you, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about signing up for a race or doing something for you, just do it, do it. Yeah. You're, you're never going to regret putting yourself in that position it's it's you know it's one of uh it, it, it's a simple athletic endeavor you know one foot in front of the other that can bring you and and people around you a whole lot of joy so i think bart encapsulates that greatly in his spirit and uh, i really think you're going to enjoy this episode uh, 81 with the great mayor of running bart yasso enjoy Thank you. 
is Christine Conti. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are two fit crazies. And the microphone. We are where it's at. Brian, you are still alive? You were out running this morning in the frigid Arctic you know, blast that we have at the Jersey Shore. Listen, we got Bart Yasso on the show today. You think I wasn't going out for a run today? I'm pumped. It was, really pumped. It was 10, right? I waited till daylight, mm-hmm. right? So I didn't go on my normal crack of dawn, uh, you know, uh, 5 a.m., 5.30 type of run. I went, waited till it was about, uh, you know, till about 10 o'clock or so. And then, uh, but it wasn't bad, you know, it was, you, you, you wear the right clothes. You're all right. All right better, I mean, you, better you than me. I've had, I've been worse. I've been in worse. I've had runs where like my my eyeballs have frozen a little bit. Right? Yeah, you know what I'm thinking. Boston was Boston Marathon last this year. year Boston, much worse this year's than Boston, probably right. this morning. So look, this is a great segue. It. We've got Bart. Yeah. So Bart, how you doing? I'm doing well, Brian. How are you? Are fantastic. So uh, obviously you heard us through uh, the pre-show here with that uh, you know Bart is widely considered as the mayor of running. So I've heard. Yeah, and uh, you know bunch of crazy stuff that we're gonna get into, but. While we're on topic, what's uh, tell us, Bart? I, I kind of feel like I know the answer to this, but crazy running conditions, weather-wise, what's the what's the craziest? What have you been into? Yeah, I've done the extreme from uh, <laughs> you know when I did Badwater, which is in Death Valley in July. Uh, <laughs> it was the true 123 degrees actual air temperature, uh, ambient air, 123 degrees, and and people always say, ah, but it's a dry heat, and I'm like. People that say that aren't out there running. Right. Uh, 123 <laughs> degree. You can set your toaster oven at 123 degrees. Right. Trust me. I uh, I spent three uh, three summers in Tempe, Arizona, and uh, yeah, yeah. You go well, Brian. Anytime yeah. it's over 110, I don't care. Dry, cold, hot. Whatever. I mean, you know, dry, dry heat, whatever. It's hot. Yeah. Your shoes melt yeah, to the ground. You wake up in the, on a summer morning and they say, hey, good morning, you know, at 6 o'clock. And they say, it's 92 degrees. And you're like, what? How can that be? Uh, and then I've done the extreme. You know, I've run in Antarctica and uh, I've run in a lot of cold places. Uh, I did a run uh, at about uh, 21,000 feet on Mount Aconcagua, which is the highest mountain in the Americas. Uh, in Argentina, and I just happened. I wake wake up as I'm climbing the mountain, and I realize it was my 40th birthday. And I said, "I got to go to for a run." I turned 40 today, so I did this little run, and uh, just so I could get out there and run. And it was uh, it was a very very cold day, <laughs> like good 40 50 mile an hour winds with you know like minus five air temperature. I don't know what the wind chill was, but it was brutal. But I had to do it because you know I had to run on my 40th birthday. A call to duty. Yeah. So I've done the extremes on on both ends, but uh, but I'm a heat guy to be honest. You you, I, you like the heat or or the heat? I see. I'd rather run in the cold. I'd rather. Yes. Yeah, I I learned to to embrace the heat and like the heat, and now I'm a heat guy. So I'm with you, Bart. Take, like give me the heat thing. all day long. You can take your cold and my numb fingers <laughs> and my can't feel anything. I'll feel that heat all day. Just let it in. Yeah, so Christine, Christine and I are on the like the fun crazy side. I think Brian, <laughs> the other other side of crazy. I won't. I won't uh, All right, no, 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 fair enough. We'll, we'll we'll stick with fun crazy on our. <laughs> All right. Either way, Brian, I think we got we really do have another fit crazy, and we talk about this a lot. That we're the two fit crazies, but Bart. <laughs> Welcome to the inner circle. This is the Wolf Pack. There are a few of us crazy people out there, and 
you know, we, Brian and I both get that idea like, oh, well, I don't care what the temperature is. I'm 40 or it's my birthday or, hey, it's just Monday and I feel the need I need to go out and run. And it's like you're calling. It's almost like the universe is like, come run, like quietly in your ear. And then if you don't, I'm sure just like us and everyone else out there that gets it, you are not human if you don't listen to that voice. (laughs) Something overcomes you and you become a monster. So it's... uh. I I would agree with that. You know, I I did an Instagram post the other day, which got like 1,200 likes. And all I said on this post, you know, I just went out for a four-mile run on the trails, a very easy run. And I said uh, what I – the word – the text I used was, I know I feel more like myself when I run, even if it's only for a few miles, or at least I feel like the self I like best. And that resonates with a lot of runners. That's it. We're uh, we're impossible to be around if we don't get out for that run. And and that also it's not time. We're we're doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for the people around us sometimes. So the, it's our little therapy. Oh, you better believe it. We call I call it the exercise them, right? Release yeah. the demons. Just get back to whole self. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, so what, what, uh, what are you doing these days? Uh, I know that you've recently retired from uh, your work at Runner's World, right? Yeah, thirty-one years at Runner's World, and now I am officially retired. I just uh, hit my one-year anniversary of retirement. Okay. Still traveling a lot, doing races and everything, uh, emceeing? I travel a lot, but I'm still going to events. You know, the run community is hard to uh, to leave it's a very cool place to be so i want to stay connected with the running community get a lot of inspiration out of the running community i have a ton of friends in the industry and the community so you know it's uh it's hard to walk away from so and and i imagine it beats working right yeah i mean the stuff i do is you know i really just go to some events that i have uh personal relationships with and speak at events and you know just have a lot of fun, and uh, I absolutely love it. And I tend to go to like cool places, like the Kauai <laughs> Marathon, and you know, I go to go to cool spots, uh, nice locations, and uh, I, I absolutely love it. But retirement is the real deal; it is awesome. The only problem is you have to be old to retire. So you know, you'd be really nice to retire in your thirties or forties, but I didn't have that option. So. Mid sixties is what it is, and uh, it's you know. But I am enjoying it. Life is be life has begun again for you. That's it. A new adventure. That's what I always say. New adventures. Yep. Brian That's and I have retired from like three different careers already. <laughs> we we always say we're recovering this or recovering that. I'm a recovering mortgage loan officer. Christine's a recovering teacher, uh, and we you know we fa- found our way into the into the fitness world and and uh, and and for me running primarily uh, you know that's my that's my. Um, passion and and it's everything and then uh you know we've uh i've, I've actually seen you speak uh, at a, on a tw- two occasions once at a race and once at a book signing that you did here for us uh in long branch oh okay yeah yeah like at the sneaker factory i think it was yeah. they had uh yeah and uh and it was great uh you know you told your stories you told uh you told some stories you told about comrades i think was one of the stories that you talked oh, yeah. about uh, that's a bucket list race for me. I would love to do that. Tell us about Comrades. Yeah, so Comrades is the oldest ultra in the world and the largest ultra in the world. Those are two good uh, things to have on your side if you're an event. 
to be around since 1921 and to have 25,000 people line up to run 56 hilly miles in South Africa. But what's interesting about Comrades, it, it, it had a, a very checkered past, very similar to the checkered past in South Africa. You know, it really suppressed all the black athletes from running the race. They didn't allow the black citizens to run in the Comrades Marathon. They call it a marathon even though it's 56 miles. Right. And, uh, you know, they suppressed the black athletes. And then at some point it was actually the white athletes that said, look, you have to let everyone run this race. I mean, you're, you know, the country is at that time uh, about 85 percent black citizens and they suppressed all of them from running. So the the white athletes said, look, if you don't allow the black athletes to run, we're not going to run. If we don't run, you don't have a race. And that's where they really started to rethink this and then allow the black citizens to run. And, of course, as you know, black citizens did very well in the race. They started winning the race. And during a time when apartheid was, you know, uh, full, you know, apartheid was law in South Africa, the black citizens were never revered at a high level and never – put on TV doing great things, but they were during comrades because they were winning comrades. And uh, so it was one thing that, you know, really helped the black citizens feel like, like they were accepted. And when I interviewed some of the black South Africans who have run comrades many times when I was there, a lot of them told me during those tough apartheid years in the eighties and early nineties, they felt like when they ran comrades that apartheid didn't exist. And it was the only time in their life during apartheid that they felt like apartheid didn't exist. So I always, after I interviewed those those people, I always said to myself, man, if a sport is powerful enough to abolish something as evil as apartheid, even if it only abolishes it, you know, for a short period of time, that's the sport I want to be in. You know what that reminds me of? The same, as you're saying this, Bart, the same idea when you talk to all of the people that have disabilities or have diseases that are pushed um, and participate in marathons, whether it be, you know, they're they're pushing themselves in, in wheelchairs or push chairs, and every single one of them says that during that race, they forget that they have something, right. and they yeah. truly believe that they are a part of something greater, and... I don't think there's a lot of other sports out there that allow for that, that allow for that, that mental freedom, that mindset, that almost, you know, you're kind of like that transcendental feeling like you are a part of something else and you're, you know, kind of almost out of body experience. I think it's such a powerful thing for people to understand. It's like love and running and, 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 you know, they go hand in hand. It's uh, universal languages. Yeah, I agree. Christine, you made a great point because it is really true. I mean, when you think of when you go to a big marathon and see all the wheelchair athletes and what they call athletes with disabilities, uh, whether it's a blind athlete or uh, I mean, you could go down the list of people that run for the Achilles Track Club, which is one of the big uh, groups that gets a lot of the disabled athletes out there to compete to think that they're out there running a marathon. It's unbelievable. And, you know, if you use wheelchair racing as a benchmark, you know, wheelchair racing is really like a bike race. Like they have a wheelchair that's designed just like a bicycle. 
and you know they power it with their arms but they're not in bike racing they're in running right. they're in the boston marathon they're in the new york city marathon and i'll tell you for uh when i meet someone that they're going to witness a marathon for the first time and they're at like new york or boston or one of the big races i always tell them i say you have no clue the emotional roller coaster you're going to go through today because when you see it the lead wheelchair racer go by uh-huh. or a race like Boston Marathon when the, uh, the, athlete, the dis, dis, athletes with disabilities like the, uh, that are running on blades. Yeah, the wounded warriors come by. Yeah. and the, Oh, and my go gosh. By, and I'm telling you, it is unbelievable. And, they, you know, the way like Boston Marathon, uh, those athletes start off early. So those are the first people you see. Right. And, uh, I mean, you're just – it's unbelievable. I mean, I still, you know, I've seen it many, many, many times, and it, I, it, it's still emotional for me. And I just can't imagine someone seeing this for the first time. They must just be, be a wreck. Well, uh, one thing that comes to mind is I've run uh, Marine Corps a couple times in DC, and and seeing at the oh, the I hill, cry. the hill at the end, and they yeah. have the Marines that help the, the the wheelchair athletes get up the uh, get up the hills. Uh, that hill at the end, it's uh, it's something. Um, you little know, hill at the end, up to the Iwo Jima Memorial, yeah. is a brutal little hill. <laughs> it's, a- it's very hard on the wheelchair racers because their body weight is trying to go the other way, and they're trying to get up that that hill. I've seen and people put their hands down to get up that hill. Run, you know, runners like actually have to put their hands down to get up the hill. It's so fitting though. Marine Corps Marathon ends like that. Yeah, and that hill really comes right at the twenty-six mile mark. Okay, I was fine for the hill. It was like mile fourteen with that. There was one whole mile of the families holding up pictures of their oh, yeah, of the yeah. um the blue mile. The blue it was okay. It was. I almost. Had like a, I was like Christine, you cannot start crying. Christine, don't start crying. You're gonna hyperventilate. Can't start crying in a marathon. It was, yeah. but the, it's it is so powerful. It's now almost two miles. Is that right? Yeah, it really it really took off. It's been around for a while, but it really hit another level. This woman by the name of uh, Lisa Hallett, who lost her husband uh, while she was eight months pregnant, and her husband was killed in Afghanistan or Iraq. And uh, they already had two kids and the third one on their way, and he was killed. And uh, she was the one that just said, you know, I have to do something. And uh, she really got serious about that blue mile and representing all the people that lose their life, you know, uh, for us, for our freedom. And uh, when you get to – it's in that area of Haynes Point in the Marine Corps Marathon. You come in there, and then there's a picture of the fallen soldier. Uh, He or she is – big picture of them and then there are the people that are there are like the immediate family it's not they didn't recruit people to be there those people are there because they want to honor their sibling uncle cousin brother sister whatever it is and uh, it is that is the most emotional mile you ever experience in any race unbelievable unbelievable yeah and I'll tell you, that's the sport of running. Somehow it just works. Like we, we accept all this and work with all these groups to make this stuff happen. And it's it's incredible experience. We're, we're very and, lucky. And it's just a, you know, really connected. You know, there's no other sport where um, it was funny. On Twitter the other day, somebody posted, I think it was a, a, a ex-basketball player, you know, who was the 
greatest athlete you ever went up against or you ever played against? And his answer was Michael Jordan. He's like, okay, now your turn. And to me, I'm like, well, I've run Boston, you know, a few times and I've run New York a few times and, and like, so I've competed, you know, technically at the, (laughs) right? Against Shalane. It's, Um. you don't get any other sport. Like I can't play Augusta on Sunday against Tiger Woods, um, Uh, but I can run Boston and run the same exact miles as these guys. Yeah. It's very true. And, uh, so I know. think that that's, that's a connection that we have with that too. You know, it's like we're all doing it. You know, it's, it's, uh, yeah. it's just a very communal event. It's, uh, and it's a tribal, um, sport for sure. And, you know, we've got, all got our little running groups and, uh, you know, and, uh, even if, uh, you know, you're a solo runner, you run around the same people in the races and you kind of have that guy who you want to beat or even if there's a person who <laughs> you can see when you're running, you know, if I know there's a couple of people, if I can see them while I'm in the race, I know I'm having a good race, you know, um, yeah. And uh, it's just it's it's just tons of fun. And and you, as the the you know the mayor of running, are kind of like the you I know. Where I get that title, but man, I've had that title for you know. I people have been calling me the mayor of running for twenty years, and it's not an elected position. It's not a paid <laughs> position. It's not. But when it started happening to me, I I didn't know where it started and who started it. But you know, I just kept seeing it everywhere. And then of course when. Social media took off, you know, I'd see it everywhere there. And, I, you know, people always ask me about it. I said, hey, I, I didn't ask for it. If people think I'm the mayor running, I'm going to go out there and represent our sport. That's because, it. Uh, Own it. Yeah. I'm not going to just take it for granted. And if people feel that way, and, you know, so many people say that to me, I'm going to do whatever I can for this sport. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I traveled extensively, you know. I, I went all over the world to run, so it was not uh, not just a thing in the U.S. I uh, I felt my job was a global job when I was at Runners World because we had uh, 19 international editions of Runners World, and as you know, running is a global sport. So I tried to do it anywhere I was, you know, visiting. Let's let's take it from there for a second as the mayor of running. So yeah. it's now the last day of January. This will come out in February, this episode. And everyone in the winter right now is all about transforming themselves and getting more healthy and this and that. Now, many people struggle with, with running and they, maybe they want to run and they can. And, and many times growing up running was like, you know, you get in trouble and you have to run. And it was like a, you know, this bad thing that, and there were a select few people who enjoyed running, and they were freaks because they yep. just liked to run, and that was weird. And they wear those short shorts. Right, and it was just, yeah. you know, why would they even do that for more than a mile? Mile's awful. And now you obviously fell in love with running and have taken it to a point where you have this title, which is freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, wish it was paid. I'm sorry about that, but we'll work on that. Right. Um, where, where did that love initially come from? Yeah, you know, Christine, when I started running, which was 43 years ago, uh, it seemed, you know, it was a long time ago, uh, 40, uh, almost 43 years. You know, I just wanted to go out and run just to change my life, to get healthy. Uh, I, you know, I knew, I, you know, I smoked cigarettes early, you know, when I was in my, when I was a teenager and then I, you know, thought drinking beer and smoking pot was a, great thing to do the rest of my life and you know i realized that's not what i want to do uh but luckily i was young you know i was in my early 20s and i said okay i gotta gonna get healthy and figure out what i really want to do and then 
when I started running, I didn't know I would really like running and fall in love with running, but that's what happened. And I was like everyone else. I went out and ran that first time I ran. I thought, man, I made it a mile and it just about killed me. And uh, I always tell people, I said, I wish we had uh, cell phones back then and I could have taken a selfie of myself because uh, if I had that photo, I could sell it for <laughs> to people because, I mean, I looked really bad. I had on cutoff jeans with a belt, <laughs> a Budweiser T-shirt. Oh, yes. Long hair, scruffy beard. You know, I look like that Geico caveman guy. <laughs> a Budweiser T-shirt with cutoff jeans and a belt and white tube socks and like a pair of kids we all start somewhere bart <laughs> yes we do and, and that's the thing i say to people like okay so if i came back from that run looking the way i looked and uh it you know and i made it a mile and i got back to my apartment that i was living in and if somebody would have come up to me and said hey dude guess what you're going to work at Runner's World Magazine for 31 years. You're going to run all over the world. People are going to call you the mayor of running. I would have told them that they needed to be in a padded room. You know, I, I, I just want to try to run a mile two days from now. You know, I, I said, this really beat me up. Uh, but you just don't know what's around the corner and where something like, you know, like running could take you. And that's why, you know, I, I, you know, I always tell my tagline has always been, Never limit where running can take you physically, geographically, emotionally, spiritually, however you use this sport. I, I know from experience and all the people I met, it's a powerful sport. And, uh, you know, I just I didn't I didn't no clue that I would really like running. And my brother, George, uh, who was really like my father figure, he was uh, he was the one that pushed me into going to races and doing races. And he said, you can be good at this sport. Trust me. You got to commit to it and go for it. And, and I did. And, you know, thank God he gave me that little push that I needed. And, uh, and then from there, you know, God, it's, I, I, I look back, I still think that it's a dream sometimes, but after 43 years, I don't think a dream lasts 43 years. So I was, uh, but I had the dream job, you know, I used to tell people, and I'd be out doing a long run thinking, wow, wouldn't it be cool to get a, you know, I realized at some point I'm never going to get fast enough to win any of these big races and really make a living off the sport. So then I used to be out on a 23-mile run thinking, God, i got to find a job where I can, you know, it could be I get paid to go around the world <laughs> and do races and stuff like that. And I'd like, there's no job that exists like that, uh, you know, unless you're a top elite runner. And, uh, you know, I ended up working at Runner's World, and there is a job out there like that. And I ended up getting that job. But how, you know, how it's crazy to think that I was dreaming that, uh, you know, just a little things popping in my head out on my long runs. And that and that dream came true for me. I mean, is it crazy, though? Like, you know, is, is it crazy? Like you say it's crazy, and it is crazy, like that whole story. Yeah. You know, but. You kind of, you know, like we always say on this for the show, like we, you know, we didn't really have a platform uh, in you know this big, so we created it, and you know, you kind of developed that career and and everything that you just described, um, you know, for yourself, you know, you made it happen. It wasn't, you know, just it didn't fall into your lap. I mean, maybe uh, some yeah, opportunity. I, mean, I, I will. I don't give myself a lot of credit. When I did start working at Runner's World, I did work hard at what I was doing, and I really did want to progress and. And I wanted to be involved in the running industry at a very high level. So I, I 
worked hard at it and I did everything I could to uh, to advance my career. But it still just seems like, yeah, you know, I started at very humble beginnings and it to, in this sport, That's and cool. I just can't believe where it took me. It is amazing. I, I have but, to I have to thank you. These, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, but like Christine was saying, like all these people out there that don't think they're a runner or don't think they can run or in those very early stages, just keep doing it. Keep showing up. Keep getting out there. Uh, biggest mistake people make, new runners, they, you know, when they head out for the run, they think of uh, like they have an image of a runner that they've seen on TV. Mm-hmm. And of course, as you guys know, the runners that get on TV are the you know, when they're winning the New York City Marathon or the Boston Marathon, that's not what you want to think about. You want to think about someone way in, in the back of that race because that's where you're going to start out. So you just want to get out there. If you run a minute, walk a minute, run 30 seconds, walk 30 seconds, whatever you got to do to start, eventually you'll build up some endurance. Eventually you'll get stronger, faster, and you'll fall in love with the sport. But there's no shortcuts. You got to start out easy and, uh, and just let it come to you. Don't uh, don't push it that you end up with a lot of injuries. Just uh, be smart about it, and then you'll never know what can happen. You go from uh, you know the, just thinking you could run around the block to running New York City Marathon or something like that. It it happens. It's 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 almost you know it's it's crazy. But that's you know my story as well. You know I I um. I have to tell you, I, I you know, reading your book and 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 your book is is my life on the run. It's a fantastic read. Um, like I said, I got got it from you uh, at the book signing that you had a few years back here. I actually have a picture. I got to drum it up and uh, post it uh, oh, cool. of of the two of us, uh, you, me, and you holding the book. Um, Photoshop me. In there, Photoshop okay. you. Yeah, we'll get it done. Uh, <laughs> But I mean, your story is very similar to mine. I, I mean, I I was introduced to running early. My my fa- I come from a family of runners. My brother ran for uh, you know CBA competitive high school here in New Jersey, uh, and my mom was running marathons in the '80s. And I was introduced to running for my dad, who had a heart condition, and um, you know he passed away early. And after that, all hell broke loose. And, you know, we were just kind of rudderless ships. And uh, I found my way into that life you were living. I didn't necessarily have the cutoff jeans and the Budweiser shirt, um, right. but uh, but I had the booze and the pot and the smoking and all that stuff. And uh, you know, I found myself uh, in my late twenties and early thirties. And um, and when I cleaned up my act, running became my go-to. Um, you know, it was what I did to feel good again. And, uh, and, you know, to say it's taken on a life of its own, it's, you know, it's actually don't limit where running can take you. Uh, you know, it's taken me very far. Uh, I went from not being able to run around the block, even though like I ran junior Olympics and stuff as a kid and I always sure. knew that running was there, but uh, you know, there was 18 years of, you know, hooliganism and shenanigans, yeah. uh, in between. And then, but, you know, once I cleaned up my act, the running just came naturally. It was like what I did. I, I didn't have a gym membership. I didn't have anything. I went for a run. It was free. Um, it was free and it was freeing. And, uh, you know, and, and, uh, it, it's just been a blast. I mean, you know, my relationships and the time, you know, I've, I've been able to run some pretty fast stuff and, and get into it. And it's just, you know, it's really what, you know, that has become my passion, like I said. Um, and I mean, Bart, I even read in your book, I went as far, I've put my forearm together with my friend and watched the cigarette burn down to the, to the, oh my God, yeah, to the filter. Was, 
I couldn't yeah. believe it. I read that. that. Was one of those crazy things that we did as kids. We were so stupid. It was so stupid. I'd done that. I'm reading your book and I'm like, holy cow, you know, and I had cleaned my, cleaned up my act by then. And, you know, and I'm reading this. I'm like, this is unbelievable that I'm reading this yeah, in this book. Yeah, I don't know where. Uh, <laughs> crazy stuff we did when we were kids. I'm just yeah, lucky I'm alive, to be honest. You know, I, I did say it a couple times on podcast and in runner's world and when i do public speaking that running saved my life and people would come up to me and said you know you say running saved your life do you really mean it saved your life and i said no i absolutely mean it saved my life like i wouldn't be here today if i didn't take up running back then and i said it's it was a real simple thing for me to figure out because one day i was you know when someone said to me what do you mean by running saved your life I wrote down uh, about 12 names of people that I associated with in my younger days when all we did was smoke pot and drink beer and hang out. And when I put those 12 names down and, you know, some of them I knew have passed away and committed suicide and all kinds of bad stuff happened to them. And the couple people that I had no idea what, what, where they were, what they were doing when I Googled them and did some research and found out that the list I created, all of them are not here anymore. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. I'm in my mid-60s, so, uh, you know, they were all my age. And I did this when they would have all been in their 50s. Yeah. And it's all – and none of them, you know, it was all either, you know, uh, suicide, drug overdose, all bad stuff. Oh. And, so I said, I absolutely running saved my life because that's where I made that transition that I don't want to live like this. This is not what I want to do. I want to have a positive impact. And running gave me that focus and helped me out tremendously. So it absolutely saved my life. What comes to mind is that with great adversity comes great clarity. That's what comes to mind. Yeah, very, very well said, Christy. And uh, I think that all of us, you know, a lot of us find each other in these, you know, especially in running and marathons and, you know, with your story and whatnot, I think all of us kind of relate to it. I was talking to a, a, a girlfriend I met quite a while ago and you, you kind of lose each other and you come back and she was like, you know, Christine, the red string, how we're all kind of thrown together in the universe. And, you know, I said, well, you know, it's the the type of people that you're drawn to or thrown together. I think, you know, there's a, whether there's a greater power that throws you together or you just make choices that, you know, you all share these similar backstories and they may be a little different, but they all kind of, you know, have that same idea of, Hey, you know what? You know, you can't, you can't be addicted to drugs and go out and be a marathon runner. You, you know, you, you can't show up and run marathons and, and be a, you know, an alcoholic or, or this or that because it just doesn't go hand in hand. Which one would you like? And I, yeah. I think it's a powerful message for, you know, people who are like, I don't know about running or this or that, but, you know, there's, there's some great, great people in the running community. I mean, we're a little off. We all are. Yeah, in the best way. In the, <laughs> we, <laughs> we don't want the normal. If you're normal and you're, you know, yeah. following the, you know, following the, that drummer, then you're not with us. We, we want yeah. those that are like out there dancing like maniacs. That's us. That's the tribe. Those fun, crazy people. That's what I want to surround myself with. <laughs> all right. So <laughs> one of these things, we're going to switch it here. 
one of the yeah. things that when I think I believe one of the reasons why you are quote unquote the mayor of running is because we all train with you at times, right? Yeah. With these gosh darn Yasso eight hundreds. Oh, oh, Yasso eight hundred. I heard of this. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. A Burfoot named me. That ain't not work out after me. Every- well, it worked out that I did. So ten times eight hundred meters on the track with a four hundred meter recovery. You know, I always did a three mile warm up, three mile cool down. I come from the you know when you start in the seventies, all marathon runners ran a hundred miles a week back then because that's what everyone did. So I, we did a lot of mileage, but you know, like Wednesday hit hit the track ten times eight hundred and. uh that's when I realized this correlation, what I averaged in my 800s would equal my marathon time. So the 800 meters would be in minutes and seconds and the marathon, of course, in hours and minutes. But, you know, you do 10 800 meter repeats in two minutes and 40 seconds and you're on a 240 marathon. And it works for people doing four hours or, yeah, this, uh, and Andy Burfield, when I told him about this thing, he was the one that named him after me and he thought i got this crazy last name and it'll stick and runners will do it and i said ah, i don't know about that but whatever <laughs> if you want to do it let's do it and man he was right because <laughs> that was in runner's world in in the early 90s and there's not a day in my life that somebody doesn't mention yasso 800s <laughs> not, well, not a day i'm glad to be today's uh contributor yeah. to you the best Brian. it's too funny and I, and I always tell people don't ever have a workout named after you, I, you know, I always tell them i'm kidding because it is fun but i do always tell a few stories about yasso 800s when uh when i was i did this trail run in new zealand south island of new zealand and i did really well in the race and we're waiting at the award ceremony to get called up there and this guy's telling me about yasso 800s and he's telling me all about them and <laughs> You know, and I'm just taking it all in, and I'm just trying to, you know, recover from this race. I remember it being a really hard trail run, and I remember I ran on the edge of death in that race, and I was just like, I'm just letting this guy talk, and he has no idea who I am. And and then he told me the Yasso 800s were this Russian scientist who came up with this formula, and I'm like, this is awesome, because I knew in a couple minutes that they were going to say my name, so... Sure enough, they do the award ceremony, and I get called up on the stage. And Boryaso from the United States, uh, some of you may have heard of Yasso 800s. Here he is. And the guy looked at me like, and then I got off the stage and told him, I'm not Russian, I'm not a scientist, but I love hearing your story. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, man. That's fantastic. And then I always, I always talk talk about this one. I was in uh, Portland, Oregon, and I'm in a coffee shop, and I got my laptop out, and I'm working away. And this young woman, like 25 years old, comes in the coffee shop, and the place is packed. And uh, she comes in, and she sees me, and she points at me and says, You're Barriasso. And I said, Yeah. And I thought she was going to like say, You know, I just finished this marathon or whatever. And she looked at me and real, real loudly that everyone in the coffee shop could hear. She said, I curse your name every Wednesday. <laughs> well, she said, and then she got in line to get coffee. And everyone in this coffee shop is looking at me like, wow, what does this dude do that this poor woman curse, curses at him every Wednesday? And it was so funny. And she got her coffee and then came back and talked to me. And I said, do you know that everyone in this coffee shop thinks, you know, I'm a crazy person that you curse me every Wednesday? 
they don't know where you, you know, if I say, if you said that in a running group, they would understand what's, what uh, she was talking about, but just in a coffee shop, it was really funny. Oh man. Well, she loves you, you know, about not having a workout named after you. And then people send me links, you know, there's a thread started on Yasso 800s and all these, you know, people say, Oh, it doesn't work. It's bogus and all this stuff. And, and then people send me a thread and say, Hey, you got to get on there. They're bashing Yasso 800s. I said, I don't have to get on there. I've only ever said Yasuo 800s work for me. I never said they work for anyone else. I mean, a story said, try it. If it works for you, you know, it's, it can be a good thing. You know what's cool? And I said, you know, I, it worked for me, but I, I didn't say it worked for anyone else. How about you have a workout where you're actually getting people healthier and moving, and it's inspiring others to be better people? I mean, how about that? I don't care if you hate yeah. it, like it. I don't care what you – I don't care about anything else except you're making people healthier, and you should go to bed every night and be like, hey, I accomplished more than most people ever. I'm yeah. affecting people around the world. There's the end. Drop the mic. We got to create the two fit crazies 400s or something like yeah. that. And guys, people be out there and then they can uh, think of you guys when they're out there on the track. If they the fit crazy 5,000. If they saw Christine working out, they would oh. run and hide. Oh. She is a, a beast in the oh. nicest, kindest, most beautiful way. I don't do as much running as I should. I'm a little bit, I'm like a little, I go rogue on a lot of my workout trainings, which. I'm thinking about putting some stuff out there to see. Uh... Bart, Bart, Christine barely runs. She shows up at the Atlantic City Marathon this year, rolls a 309, and, you know, just age groups, you know, and, and calls it a day. Yeah, 309 is pretty serious. <laughs> so, uh, that's a really good athlete and a very fast time. Well, that's and, what it is. She She trains real hard. With everything but running, and and she's she's a gifted athlete. She's D one volleyball player too, Bart. She's a tremendous athlete. Yeah, that's D one volleyball. That's serious stuff. Oh yeah, just a little different. I love running. I just have never done a strict running program. I need to do some some. Uh... Bart, We're gonna work on that, Christine. Bart's got one in his book, right? I yeah, I know, I know. And it's... you got a connection with me. We can make it happen. There you go. Think of really think about a sub three hour marathon and I know you have a, the athletic ability to do it. And that's a nice thing to have on your resume. We've yeah. talked we've talked about this at you know, till the cows come home. Hey, here's the thing. I think that if she did run as much as that's pressure. If, if if she ran more and really focus on it, she might hate running. She might she might not enjoy it as much as she does. So uh, I think that there's like a well, fine gotta, line. You just gotta pick six months out that you really want to do it in that six month training build up to break three hours in the marathon besides she's on to iron man's now she's oh, uh geez. she did Here iron man go. lake placid this year okay yeah so, i did like placid the first year they had it which i think was 98 or 97 this, was the, this i did the 40th year anniversary so yeah 80. 20th or oh, 20th i'm 20th. kidding yeah, yeah it was the 20th anniversary i'm like i'm like wait that 20th can't be right. anniversary yeah. yeah so i think i did it the i know i did it the very first year they had it it's yeah. a that's a nice course that is a great race it's a beautiful setting it's a it's a fun ironman you could keep your mountains you could keep those adirondack <laughs> mountains and oh that course is awesome that's what you need some good yeah. challenge hills it was the but run was nice fantastic challenge. The bike yeah. was awful. It was rainy and windy, and it was not good conditions. But oh, yeah. rain always makes makes it a little more. Calm. Yeah, but other than that, 
So I want to get in a couple other things here with you yeah, before we ahead. before we knock off. But uh, one of the things that was one of the funniest parts of your book uh, uh, that that I really enjoyed was uh, the run through the nudist colony. Oh yeah, the bare buns run. The bare yeah, buns. I never lived that down. Uh, thank God, cell phones weren't around with cameras back then because I did that in the mid nineties. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know there was the internet was already around and email was was pretty big deal at that point and uh so when I committed to doing this race as a work assignment that uh the race started promoting that I was coming. Barriazo from Runner's World is doing the bare buns run and all this <laughs> stuff. I'm like, dude, that's not what we're supposed to do here. I'm supposed <laughs> to just show up incognito and do the race and uh Yeah, so I uh I was a marked man. I actually spoke at a dinner the night before where people come to this pasta dinner naked and sit down and have, you know, pasta. It's like, this place is crazy. <laughs> and then, uh, thank God you got to the race. That's, uh, I just wanted to survive till I got to the race. And then, uh, it was just this out and back 5k all within the confines of the nudist camp. And, uh, I, you know, back then I was, you know, decent shape, but I didn't think, uh, much about, you know, do I try to win this race or what, what I was going to do? And I just remember taking off and, uh, there were two young guys that were beating me as, uh, we got close to the turnaround and the turnaround was a older guy with a volunteer, you know, orange vest on, but no pants. So you ran to the, ran to the old guy with no pants, turn around <laughs> and come back. And this is great. That old guy is probably younger than me right now. I mean, as, a, as I think about it, he's probably my, you know, uh, my age, and I call him an old guy because this was 20, 20, over 20 years ago. But anyway, I run to the old guy with no pants and turn around and come back. And then I thought, okay, I can smoke these two young guys on the way back. I was feeling pretty good. And then I realized after that turnaround that there were like 400 naked people running towards you. Oh, I oh. forgot about those two guys that were in front of me. And I don't, re- I don't remember till, uh, till I got to the finish line. And uh, I was not concerned about trying to catch those guys anymore it was it was a crazy fun experience and one of those things that i you know i just loved my job i never turned down any work assignment ever so were you naked on this 5k too yeah oh, yeah oh was, okay all right okay a bare buns run okay I, sorry yeah no you had to be the yeah i mean if you're gonna write a story you have to be like everyone else you can't uh you can't observe or not do it uh yeah, so it was it was interesting, but it was but it was really in the end it it turned out to be a really fun thing. Fun to read about, that's for sure. But, oh my god! But everywhere I go, I get hounded about that stuff. People, you know, people introduce me and say, "Hey, you did the bare bones run?" I'm like, "Okay, I did about twelve to thirteen hundred runs all over the world." Yes, I did the bare bones run. Many <laughs> other races that I did, but I know people pick on that one all the time. So, so I feel like I feel like I have the Rolling Stones here, though, and I have to hear the hits. You know what I mean, Bart? I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. You're a good sport. You're a good yeah. sport. Tell us what tell us now. Let's let's go. What what do you have going on now, or what what are some other things that you have uh, that that you're working on yes. now in retirement? Believe it or not, and uh, not this coming weekend, but the weekend after that, I think it's February 9th, I'm doing a 50k in the trails in uh, Maryland. And, you know, for me, a long run is eight miles. I mean, that's a real long run for me these days. So doing 31 miles is going to be a, a challenge. But 
I wanted to do an ultra because it's the 30th anniversary of when I started doing ultras, and I thought, man, I got to do one. So I was actually doing a podcast, and uh, this ultra came up, and uh, I talked about this Algonquin 50K in Maryland. And I said, I saw a tweet the other day that really was a cool tweet that uh, this race just sold out. And it's the first time I've ever heard an ultra say that they have more women than men entered in the race. Now, it's very common for shorter distance races. uh, But I never heard an ultra that had more women than men. Yeah, ladies. Yeah. (laughs) It's a cool thing. And I was like, damn, that is awesome. It's cool. I just like popped a message to the race director to say, that's a cool thing. And next thing I know, I'm entered in the race. <laughs> <laughs> next thing I know, I'm thinking, you know, and as I got talking to him, I said, okay, you know, I really, really want to do an ultra that in 2019 because it's 30 years of doing ultras. I really want to go out and do one. So, uh, it's, but it's going to be a challenge for me. I got, uh, but I think I can finish the thing. It's just going to be, I think if I have a good day, I can finish within about four hours of my 50k PR. So, I mean, it's going to be a much different experience than I used to, <laughs> used to be used to, but, but I just got to get to that finish before the, uh, the cutoff, which is eight hours, which I'm pretty sure I can do. Uh, so we'll see. I'm but thinking that, yeah, we go, you know, do I got a bunch of other races lined up more where I'm doing speaking at the expos and dinners and things like that. But I, I want to do a couple of races this year. I was really, really had this idea to look back and say, okay, I did this race 40 years ago. I want to go back and do it. And, you know, I looked at like the first 20 races I did and none of them really exist anymore. Uh-huh. Uh, except for, I think, I think Philly marathon. I think I did that, uh, 39 years ago. I think that was the first like big race that I found that's still around. Uh, there's so many of these races that I did just aren't around anymore. Is is the so, current is the current um, you know the current Philadelphia Marathon is that still one of the same that's been running for thirty nine years? Well, so they they this year, this past November they called it the twenty fifth anniversary okay. of the Philly Marathon because it's twenty five years since the city took it over and they right. put it on. But there's been a Philly Marathon. I mean, I did one in nineteen eighty. Yeah. So and I'll do and I know uh, Bill Rogers won the Philly Marathon in nineteen seventy four. And I, Amby Burfoot, I think, won in 1970. So there's been a Philly Marathon around for a long That's time. Right. We, we've had local runner Bill Scholl uh, won it oh, one yeah. year. I know that name. Bill's a character. Uh, yeah, good guy. Yeah. Good guy. But I wasn't sure if it was one of the same. I actually ran Philly the last two years. I ran it this year. I had a good run. Okay. It was a good time. Yeah, it is a great race. And, uh, yeah, and then they – you know, they advertised a big 25th anniversary and did a lot of special things. But it was really 25 years since the city took it over and really used the course they have set up uh, that they have now. So it's kind of a cool thing. Cool. But yeah, I want to do – I just want to do a couple of races that uh, I have a connection with. I got this real pipe dream, but, I, I, you know, I don't know if it's physically possible, but – I would like to go back to Badwater because <laughs> July will be 30 years since I did the race. And I, I'm not going to go back and do the race, but I could go back and try to run the 146 miles. Okay. And, you know, it'd probably take me two days or something. But I'm, I may give it a try if I physically come around a little bit and uh, see if I could do it. 
But stuff like that is what I got thrown in my head. It's all good. I mean, it's not good to be retired. I'm in. (laughs) Count count us in. We're in. You need a crew for Bad Water. Christine and I are there. That would be awesome. (laughs) I, I, you know what? I'm not kidding. When you get out there in July, you know, I have a couple people say to me, "Oh, I ran in Death Valley." You know, and they they go out there in like December or January, and they go, "I, I ran four or five miles. It wasn't that bad." And I'm like, "Okay." December versus July is a different world. When you go out there in July, so I had I had really good friends of mine go out there in July this year, and they were there like a week after the race happened, and uh, they only made it two miles. And there are people that finish hundred mile races. Right. Said at two miles, they said, "There's no way." Like, <laughs> I said, "I don't, I don't want to die on vacation." <laughs> like they stopped running. And they, I, you know, I get this text message. How the heck did you do it? And I said, I, I was younger. I was pretty fit at the time. Uh, so, you know, different thing. Was that when it it climbed all the way up into? Yeah, that was 100. Yeah, when I did it, I got the shirt, the entry form, everything. Badwater 146. And that's when we went to the top of Mount Whitney. So the finish line was 14,500 feet, which is the highest mountain in the contiguous 48 states, Mount Whitney. Uh, so yeah, you have to, and then when you made it to the finish on top of Mount Whitney, there's no way off of Mount Whitney except walking 11 miles trail back down (laughs) the the portals of trailhead. So run 146 miles and then walk 11 miles. And I always say to runners, would any of you park your car 11 miles from the finish line? You know, it's the craziest thing. And, uh, you're parking 11 miles from the finish line on a mountain. You know, it's crazy. You go, the the portals, I think, are about 9,000 feet. So after you run 146 miles, you have to beat it 11 miles down the trail, which, which drops uh, a good 5,000 feet. It's pretty crazy after stuff. After 146 in the heat. Yeah. You need a piggyback after that. That's insane. Yeah, but it's cool stuff. Log roll. But, you know, <laughs> I, I have a connection with Long Branch. When you mention Long Branch, yeah. New Jersey. So out of all the fun i had with running and all the stuff i've done with running i absolutely have always said that athletically the most fun i've ever had was the two trips i've ridden my bike across the united states twice i've done two solo trips across the u.s from west to east and uh so i always tell people i went from seattle to new york city just so they have a, a you know a picture of where i went but i actually started north west of seattle and both times I finished in Long Branch, New Jersey. Unbelievable. So the, the, yeah. So I always, I mean, I was aiming for Asbury Park, but it just seemed like Long Branch was easier to get to when I had to, you know, get someone to pick me up and because I was <laughs> done riding. Uh, but you know, the whole idea, you if you're riding west to east, you stick your back tire in the Pacific waters, and then you ride east until you get to the ocean, and then you stick your front tire in the Atlantic. Uh, so my front tire dipped into the ocean in Long Branch twice. On the, but it's really cool to think. I, I when you said Long Branch, it just popped in my head. That's I good. really always, you know, when I told when people like technically get into the course I rode, you know, I go on all the roads and the states I went through, and then I always say I finished in Asbury Park, New Jersey, because I think more people are, are familiar with Asbury Park than they are for Long Branch. But if, but if people just ask me, I, I always used to just, for reference, just say Seattle, New York City, so they knew basically where I was, you know, 
would ride. You're in the ballpark there. It's uh, that's that's tremendous. What a life, Bart. It was, awesome. But it was. I'm telling you, there is. You go across the country at 16, 17 miles an hour on a bicycle. You really understand the fabric of America, the people, uh, the geography, uh, the changes from state to state. You really feel it and experience it, and you just don't get that. You know, going 70 miles an hour on the interstate and you don't get that, you know, just spending a little bit of time in a town. You you know, when you're on a bike, it's a it's a lot different. And uh, you really, you know, I found out how many friendly people are, are out there because people offered me they always wanted to help me. Do you need money? Do you need a place to stay? Do you need? I said, no, I have my hotel rooms already paid for and already booked and I have my credit card and I have cash. I've. I, I don't need money, you know, but, but it's cool that people would offer this stuff. And, uh, you know, it is, it, but it really amazed me. I do remember this, uh, you know, and I saw a lot of youth that reminded me of myself. I remember I was, had this long climb, I was in Wyoming and, uh, left Cody, Wyoming, heading to Sheridan, Wyoming and this long climb, uh, and, you know, probably like 18, 18, maybe even almost 20 miles of uphill get up to about 10,000 feet and then this killer downhill in the Sheridan. And, uh, so when I was up at 10,000 feet, I put some gear that I had with me to stay warm, some warmer stuff. And then I got to the bottom of that hill on the other, on the east side of the mountain and it was warm again. So pulled over in this park to shed this gear I had on and these kids are over there smoking pot <laughs> and they they go, Hey dude, what are you doing? And I, I said, I'm riding my bike across the United States. And they, they're like, Dude, they have airplanes now, man. You don't have to do that on a bicycle. And I'm like, no, I want to do this, guys. You don't understand. And I said, I used to be you, you know, 30, 40 years ago, whatever it was, whatever I told them, I can't remember. And they just looked at me. They thought I was the craziest thing ever that I'd ride my bike across the United States. I was laughing so hard. I can still picture those kids because they uh, – they thought I should be in an airplane instead of on that bicycle. I said, ah, you guys don't know how cool this is. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> it was pretty fun. But I'm telling you, riding riding across the United States, uh, absolutely by far the most fun athletic thing I've ever done. I believe absolutely. it. I'm going to go home and ask my wife if I can do that this summer. We'll see what happens. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, always, I always think about doing it again, but, uh, uh, you know, I could never do it nearly as fast as I did it. Uh, I did in 20 days the first time and 18 days the second time. Wow. I was pedaling a good 18 days. Yeah. When you're by yourself, it's, uh, you know, you can do it a lot faster if you have crew and, you know, put lights on your bike. I didn't do any of that. I just rode it in the daylight hours and just got from one town that, you know, towns I had set up in advance, get from that place to the next place and then, uh, get a good night's sleep, uh, check the weather and then get back on your Mike, my, my butt hurts listening to this. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's uh, when I, I do speak to groups about cycling across the United States and that the first question I get is, you know, is your butt sore? And I go, uh, okay. So what I do when I, after I do my presentation, when I get the Q&A, I go, okay, two questions are going to answer. I'm going to give you the answer because those are the first two questions <laughs> I always, always get. So I'm just going to get them out of the way so you don't have to ask those questions. Yes, my butt was sore. Uh, and then the other one is the question I always get that I was, 
did I fear for my safety at any time or, you know, people are afraid to be on a bike. And I, I did not, but, uh, distracted drivers weren't a thing back then. I did it in, and I did it in 1992 and 1994. And so, uh, you know, distracted driving is, is a scary thing for cyclists these days. And I still, you know, get on my bike a fair amount. So, uh, it's a little different because I always think, ah, oh, I got to do it again it's now that you know, scary, you, can, yeah. you can bring up a map on your phone. Like <laughs> I had all these sheets of stuff that, you know, where I was going. I think, oh my God, now you, you know, GPS can tell me right literally where I am to the, to the inch. And, uh, I, you know, we didn't have that technology back then, but then, you know, unfortunately some of this technology has made it, uh, you know, not, not a fun thing to do. It's pretty, pretty crazy to think about. I mean, they used to do it on horses. That's uh, <laughs> that's crazy yes. to think of too. You know, they uh, they yeah. had they had they didn't even have the maps. Yeah, and like like the Mormons walked from Chicago to Salt Lake City. Walked, <laughs> and I'm like, gotta be kidding! A resilient bunch. Yeah, yeah. So doing it on a bicycle, you know, compared to what they did was a lot different. But you know, when I talk about the fabric of America, when you go to these little towns that people never left their little town. Like in these western town, you know, Wyoming and Montana, these people, you know, I ask them, have you, have you ever been to Seattle? No, I've heard of it. I'm like, well, I'm glad you heard of it. It's a pretty big place and it's pretty well known. But they really live in their little towns and they have no interest in going anywhere. It was really interesting. Uh, and then, you know, people that always remember. So when I got to uh, when you leave Wyoming and enter South Dakota. And I'm in the eastern part of Wyoming, and everyone's a cowboy. Everyone has spurs on their boots, and, I mean, they're real cowboys. And then you cross into South Dakota. You don't cross a river. You don't, you know, you're just all of a sudden welcome to South Dakota. And everyone was Native American. Uh -huh. And I thought, okay, there is technically a line there that separates the two states, but there's no, <laughs> there's no river that you have to swim across. There's no wall or anything there's just nothing and and it really is like okay if you're a cowboy you go this way if you're native american you go this way it's very interesting it's sure you, you would not know that i mean i i really physically experienced that you know just cruising along and that's you know that's what i was doing out there all the time trying to observe the difference in communities and stuff it was it was a blast and that's why I did it twice, because when I finished the first time, I said, man, when I went into work the next day, so I finished on a Sunday the first time I did it, and uh, and then uh, I go to work the next day, and nobody <laughs> thought I would do my bike commute, because I always bike to work. And back then, I lived 25 miles from the office, so I <laughs> 50 miles every day. So I come cruising in on my bike, and everyone's going, oh, my God, I can't believe you bike to work today. I said, why wouldn't I bike to work? So we were having a, a meeting that morning, and everyone said, okay, we got to hear about this trip before we start the meeting. And I just said, I, there's too much to talk about, but I'll tell you one thing. If I could do it again, I would leave right now and do it again. But I know I have work to do, so let's start the meeting. And, and uh, I said, I'll talk about the trip later on. So, but it was, it was that cool an experience that I just had to do it again. So I waited two, you know, two years and did it again. 
It's awesome. It's really awesome. I mean, you just you've had this fantastic, uh, you know, experience and and you know, stemming from running and biking and you know and everything else that 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 you're doing. It's just. Uh, it's it's just something to sit back and uh and enjoy uh you know for not only for you but for us you know appreciate you doing it yeah. for for everybody really no but i you know i got to say i i love what you guys are doing cuz what you're doing is connecting with people bringing in fitness to people's lives and and just sharing stories that's what it's all about i you know when i left runner's world and i got interviewed by a lot of people when i retired i I didn't think anyone would care that i retired and it was the exact opposite i did all these media interviews about retirement and you know i had this dream job why would you retire and i said well you gotta you know everything comes to an end i want to retire right and uh the question i got in all these interviews is what message would i like to leave to the running community as i walk out of my door at the runner's world office and I close my office door. And I always said, I want people to realize how much they connect with people and how much they inspire people. And they do it to so many people. And these people they'll never meet. They'll never know they inspire people, but they are inspiring people. And, uh, and that's what I think, you know, a lot of runners are guilty of. They don't realize uh, how much they inspire people. And I mean, it's not, they just don't, it's it's not their concern, you know. They're just out there doing their thing. But someone's always watching when you head out your door and run, or when, you know, or or you go to the gym, whatever you're doing. And someone always want, wanted to be you, you. And uh, so, you know, I I give one, I give a couple examples, but one I'll give you guys. You know, connect. You connect with people that you don't even know. So one day I'm I'm at my house, you know. Saturday or Sunday, and I get this email from this woman, and she said, I really want you to know what my son just said to me. So, you know, she tells me her son is, you know, is autistic and really doesn't communicate a lot, doesn't talk, and, you know, struggles at school because he's not accepted by all the other kids and all that kind of rough stuff. And uh, she said, but, you know, uh, I get home at night and I ask him to speak to me and what's going on in that head of yours? What, what are you up to? And he doesn't rarely talks to her. So she said, I said to him tonight, okay, what's, what's going on in that head of yours? Talk to me. And she, the kid started talking and Mm -hmm. she started writing it down and she said, I just want you to know what he said. So, so I get this email, you know, she says, and here's what my son said. And this kid's like 16 years old. So I, I want to read this to you. She said, uh, I wish that I knew why I have no friends. I know, I know that part of it is because I don't understand how the social, I don't understand social situations. But I just want friends my age to like me. And you know, this stuff was, I was really sad to read that because yeah. it's, it's, it's sad that kids can't accept kids. But when someone's different, they, you know, they, they don't, they don't like them for some reason. But anyway, so he said, uh, I wish Bart Yasso was my age. He's a really good person. And I think he'd be a great friend. <laughs> so apparently, you know, when I, I spoke at a couple of races where they live, that, you know, the mom would be there and bring her son, son along. But he really watched me and connected with me. He said uh, he would be okay with me not knowing how to talk to people. He wouldn't make fun of me for liking video games or being awkward in a crowd. He said he makes me feel like I'm not bad. Wow. And this thing, this thing's tearing me up when I'm reading this. Of course, like, wow, this kid really socially struggles. 
And he said, I wish that other people would want to hang out with me like to hang out with Bar Yasha because he sees me, you know, have a speak and then everyone comes up and talks to you afterwards. And then he says, uh, I wish I could be around people and socialize like him. And then he said, I really wish I could be Bar Yasha. Wow. Wow. And then he, his mom said, and then he looked at his mom and said, except for all that running crap he does. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> hey end of it on a good note because the you know the other part really tears you up and uh but he but he does run so i did do a 10k race with with him and his mom so it was really cool that i connected with them but you know if you connect with a kid that you don't even know is present when you're doing a presentation or you know you don't i wasn't doing a presentation for autistic kids i was talking about running yeah but it's it's those connections that we make that we don't even know and if this woman never reached out to me i would have never have known it but she was thought i should know that so she sent me this note and uh you know every time i read that it, it tears me up to think socially that there's people out there that just don't get accepted but you know as christine mentioned earlier except sometimes when they're out there running they feel like everyone else. And that's a cool thing for people that know that, you know, in most social situations, they're not treated like everyone else. But uh, just putting that one foot out in front of the other and being out there together, it's, uh, there's a lot of a lot of good stuff that goes on. And and only if you don't limit where it will take you. That's right. Never limit where Ryan could take you. You got it, Brian. Well, we appreciate it. Um, it it's, you know, I, I think that that's exactly it. We created this podcast and, you know, we have people from all over. Christine's way more involved in like the fitness end of things and she does conventions sure. and all that speaking. And we've had people on that have created exercise programs and people on that are doctors and, and all this stuff. But what we really always get is the people's story. And, you know, they talk about themselves and they talk, they tell us things just like you did. And, and, you know, yeah, there's running. Yeah. I mean, there's running. We can come here and talk about running, but you know what you do and, and, and what, and, and is just talk about your experiences and that's what's so attractive to people. And that's why you're the mayor, man. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. I always say when I do my presentation, you know, I tell my story cause I know my story. Right. But I, but I don't ever think I'm up there telling a story about Yasso. I, Bart Yasso, I think I'm telling a story about the power of running, and that's the way I look at it. I don't want to get up there and say, oh, I did this race, I did this race. You know, that has nothing to do with it. I tell right. stories. I don't talk about, you know, races I won or races that, you know, I did. You know, that's not what it's all about. I really try to tell a story of running and how running really changed my life and saved my life, and I know it can help a lot of other people. And that's, I know that's what you're doing, Brian. So. Well, I really thank you for having me on. We appreciate you coming on, man. It's uh, it's it's just really been a a, a treat uh, to speak with you, and uh, you know we wish you the best of luck uh, in your Algonquin fifty uh, k coming up here. I'm gonna need all the luck I can get. <laughs> and a lot of food and a lot of. Gonna need a lot, but it, it, I, I'm kind of excited about it. It sounds like a good time, and uh, you know, and we just uh, we just appreciate you so much for coming on, and uh, you know, we're gonna um, uh, put this out on all our social media uh, pages, and um, you know, why don't you do that right now while you're here? You know, if you have uh, you want to hype your Instagram sure. websites, anything like that, yeah. how can they get the book? I am my Instagram is Baryasa, my Twitter is Baryasa, and. Facebook as Baryasa. It's pretty easy. Yeah, there you go. And I get Baryasa.com. So okay. 
And they can get Amazon. all the they can get the book there. I'm sure on Amazon, all those places. Yeah, it's on Amazon. I always tell people, you know, people sometimes they like their books on Kindles or you know download or whatever, you know. And if they buy a physical book, you know, I go to a lot of races. I'll sign up when I see them somewhere. They won't, uh, you know, buy got, it wherever you normally buy your books. I got mine. All right, Brian. All right. <laughs> Sit tight, Bart. One second. All right. And with that said, uh, Christina has left the building, and I'm Brian Prendergast, and this is Two Fit Crazies and a Microphone. Hope you enjoy it. Peace. <laughs>